do I need to just start? All right. Let's let's uh, let me pray and we'll get rolling. Jesus, uh, we believe your invitation to us is to not just exist, but to live. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts today to love you more, to be more fully and wholly devoted to you for your name's sake and for our joy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Had an interesting experience uh, a few uh, days ago. I um, We do a nor- did our normal routine in the evening, which is chaos. And um, so we, we did dinner and, you know, there's food everywhere. And if you're uh, a parent and have young kids, you know that sort of drill where after you put them down, you take that deep breath, that sweet justice. We have time to sit down and to just breathe. And so uh, we did that whole thing and we sat down on the couch, Kelly and I. And uh, Kelly leans over to me and says, I had to fill out an incident report for Avery at preschool. (laughs) Now, Avery goes to the ELC two mornings a week. And evidently what happened was somebody provoked her in the not even two-year-old room yet. And when they got in her face and screamed, she went Freddy Krueger on them and she scratched their face. Now, Here's the deal. Here's what you need to know about my daughter. One, don't let the looks deceive you. Because when Ethan, Ethan thought it was fun to get in her face and to go, ah, and scare. And what she learned was if I claw him across the face, he goes away real quick. Now, this is a side note, totally for free this morning. But um, if you have a hard time believing in sin nature, Just come hang out at our house for a few hours. I guarantee you will see something that you say to yourself. I'm guessing Ryan and Kelly did not teach that to their kids. No, we didn't. Anyway, so Kelly has to sign this piece of paper that says, I understand that Avery, cute, lovable Avery, clawed another child at work. Well, two days later, same drill put the kids down, sit down on the couch. And Kelly says to me, I had to fill out two incident reports for Avery in the preschool. I'm going, this is an issue. This is the pastor's kids going to get kicked out of the church's preschool. I'm going to put that under the category of not good. Here's what I was, as I was, I was running the other day. And thinking about my daughter and, and I just, as I was, I was listening to worship music and it just hit me all of a sudden somewhere on the Highline Canal Trail that this is the same way that God interacts with us. I was, I was embarrassed that I had to put my name, our name on this line that said, my daughter has messed up big time, messed up big time. There was a piece of me. And if you're a parent of older kids, you're saying, just wait, (laughs) wait, get that get that. There was a piece of me that was embarrassed. There was a piece of me that was disappointed. And, but then on the other hand, there's this piece of me that sensed God saying, it's exactly what I've done for you. I've declared to the world through the cross in my blood that you are mine. 
And that no matter what wrong is done, no matter what sin is committed, no matter what incident report is brought before the throne of God, it's signed, sealed, delivered, covered by the blood of Jesus. And it started to stir in me as I read the second half of this first chapter of Ephesians as we're going through this book as a, as a body. Because there's this phrase that comes up all throughout the book of Ephesians and throughout the New Testament. In fact, this little phrase, this short two-word phrase, is used over 114 times in the New Testament, 14 times alone in these 11 verses. And this little phrase, two words, could potentially change your life this morning if you and your heart can grab on to the validity of them. Here's the two words. The two words are in him. In him. The Bible is going to describe our union with Christ as this um, mystical union where we are through faith placed into Christ. So positionally, we are held, we are covered, we are sustained The Bible says, in him. Now, let me just really quickly read through a portion of the first chapter of Ephesians. So you can just get a flavor of this. And I'm going to fly through it and I'm going to emphasize everywhere it says, in him. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Same same idea. In him, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Are are we getting the picture here? That what Jesus has done. And saving us is placed us in Christ. Now, see, I think something happens in us when we water down our theology of salvation to where it's just, I made a decision, I signed on a dotted line, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer. So much more happened than that. So much more. And so my goal this morning is to maybe like a balloon, just take a pump and say, let me explain to you, let the word of God sit on us in such a way that it unpacks a little bit more of what happened when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus. Here, if, you're, if you like sort of pictures, this is what the Bible says happened. If this little Tupperware is Christ and this is you right here. What happened when we put our faith and our hope in Jesus is that in some mystical way you were placed in him. So when the God of the universe looks at you, what he sees is the perfection of Jesus. When the God of the universe looks at you, what he sees is the blood shed by the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal. You may have out there, you may have had a rough week. And so you have a lot of trouble believing this today. And I just want to tell you from the word of God, if your faith is in him, it's true. 
It's true, and it may very well just change the course of your life because the way sanctification happens in us and change happens in us is not by trying harder to get in here. It happens by believing that what Jesus has done is sufficient enough to place us in here. Not trying harder. And let me just, let's unpack the way that the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter or chapter 1, verses 7 through 14, invites us into an understanding of what it means to be in Him. What it means to have the God of the universe and whatever incident report is brought before the throne to say, no, He's in me. He's in me. Ryan Paulson, in me. Signed, done. What, what's the incident report? Oh, doesn't matter. He's in me. He's in me. In Christ. It's... Second um, Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen says, "If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. New creation." First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse twenty-two says, "If anyone is in Christ, he's made alive." Romans eight chapter eight verse one says, "Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." Listen, friends, there is a huge, huge benefit. It's washed over your life when you put faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to unpack a little bit of it with you this morning. Here's what he says. We're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 7, right where we left off. And I'm just warning you, we're not going to make it too far before we take a little break, and that's okay. Chapter, verse 7 says, In Him, Jesus, in Him we have redemption through his blood. Now, let's just take a quick time out. Quick time out and explore a little bit this word redemption. Redemption. I think it's one of those church words. If you've been through the doors of church much, you've heard this word talked about. You've heard this idea talked about maybe so many times that you no longer really hear it. And I no longer hear it. It just becomes sort of normal. But let me just first point out that we're going to explain what redemption is, but first of all, the tense in this translation is right. In him we have redemption. Not in him we will have redemption. Not in him we might have redemption. Not in him if we're really good and we get it all together, we'll be redeemed. But in him, because of him, through him, because of the union with him, we have right now, today, redemption. That's good news. That's really good news. See, here's the deal. That in him, we currently stand in the redemption and freedom that Jesus provided. Here's the deal. I think some of you are still praying for something that Jesus already paid for and already delivered. I think we're still going to God saying, please, God, please redeem Please save. And he's going, I have. I have. This word redemption is so rich. So rich. Um, the, the best picture I think that we can have of it is found in the book of Hosea. One, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And, and God said to Hosea, Hosea, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to marry a wife, a woman who's going to be unfaithful to you. 
Hosea, my prophet, my mouthpiece, I want you to marry a prostitute. Her name's Gomer. Go find her and marry her. I mean, can you imagine? See, being prophetic is sort of um, people want it today. It's a good thing. In the Old Testament, being prophetic sometimes meant you married prostitutes. It sometimes meant you preached naked. It sometimes meant you were sawed in half. What, prophetic was not as cool as it is today. So God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. And indeed he does. And she is unfaithful. And she absolutely breaks his heart. And there's this sort of climactic portion in the book of Hosea. In chapter 3. Where Hosea sees his wife. His beloved. His spouse. Up on a trading block in the marketplace. Because she went out. She left him. She left her kids. She left their family. And she decided to sort of pave her own path. And where that landed was slavery and sex slavery. And she is in the middle of the marketplace trying to sell herself. Here's the way the story is recounted. Hosea chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. He says, listen, Hosea, you're my picture. You're my picture for the nation of Israel to stir their heart, to remind them this is them. That's the role they played. They were unfaithful to me. And what I want you to do, Hosea, because this is what I do, I want you to go and I want you to find her and I want you to call her home. So I bought her. Can you imagine Hosea walking through a marketplace, seeing his wife up on a stand and him saying, I want to buy her back. I want to buy her back. I want her to know my love again. I want her to sense my mercy. This is the word redemption. Literally means to buy back. To purchase back. And what the Apostle Paul just said was that if you're in Christ, that was a picture of you. That was a picture of you that that what our sin did in relation to God was it put us on the block. It made us slaves. It made us unfaithful and unworthy and unqualified to step into a relationship with him. And what Jesus did through his blood, as it goes on to say, was made a way for you to be back in right relationship with God. And so what he did in buying you back and seeing you on the slave block and seeing you auctioned off, what he said, I will give whatever it takes in order to pay that penalty to bring you back into right relationship with me. Friends, you have been bought back, purchased back. Not someday you might be, or someday you will be, or if you get your act together, then you definitely will be. If your faith and your hope is in Jesus Christ this morning, what's true about you is that you've been purchased back off the slave block, 
the auctioneer is done, it's over, you're his. Oh, man. Oh, man. And see, some of us, myself included, have such a hard time believing that. We have such a hard time believing that because we know us. We know us. Here's the great thing about that. It had nothing to do with you. The only thing you brought to the party was the sin necessary for, for redemption to be necessary. That's the only thing we brought was our brokenness and our hopelessness and our need. And what he provided was the perfect atoning blood of Jesus Christ to cover it. Look at the way that Paul says it in Ephesians. Second part of verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. That, that's, that's the way that Jesus calls us off the auction block and provides for us the hope that's necessary to keep moving forward. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses and our sins according to the riches of his grace. Isn't that, isn't that great? This is what he said. He said, it wasn't about what you did. It wasn't about your good performance. It wasn't about how much scripture you memorized. It wasn't how, how, how sinless you were able to live. It was about how sinless Jesus lived. This word forgiven literally means to set free. That the, the debts are canceled. So it's not as though Hosea calls Gomer off of the trading blocks and whispers in her ear, you really owe me. Which is how, if we're honest, I think a lot of us interact with God. You're going to have to pay that back. No, 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 no. What he says is forgiven by his blood, and which means set free. So many of us live so much of our lives looking back in the past that we have no idea what God's inviting us to in the future. And you see, God did not save you. God did not call you off the block. God did not redeem you in order to put chains back on you. What he redeemed you to do is to set you free to live in the hope and the glory of what Jesus has already past tense 2,000 years ago accomplished. I heard John Ortberg tell a story one time where he was giving a, a speech at the at the convocation ceremony at Azusa Pacific. And they brought three students up who were sort of their stellar students, and they were going off, all three of these students were going off to serve in the mission field. And they wanted everybody there to pray over them and sort of send them out as they left. And, and, and John Ortberg describes it just this wonderful ceremony as they're prayed over and they're sort of commissioned. And as the students start to walk off the stage, there's an MC that came up and said, wait, 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 we have one more thing for you. One more thing. And he said, an anonymous donor has stepped forward and paid off every single dime of each of your student loans. Person one. This may scare you if you're thinking of sending your kids to Azusa. (laughs) Student one, $77,000 canceled. Student two, 
$105,000 canceled. Student three, let me make sure I get this right, $130,000 paid for. And it's nothing compared to the grace that you stand in. Because the sin that we held and that we carried and that defined us for so long, when Jesus says, not only am I calling you out of that, but I'm freeing you to walk into a new life, was so much greater than that. So much greater. Here's the way to continue. See, here's the thing, just really quick. Sin had to be forgiven. It couldn't be ignored. You get, you, we get that? It wasn't just that God turned a blind eye to our offense. It was that he absorbed the wrath of our offense. He didn't didn't ignore it. He dealt with it. He dealt with it. Here's the way it goes on. You're wondering to yourself, how's he going to get through all these verses? I don't know. Pray for me, okay? According to the riches of his grace, it's this idea that the wealth of his grace, the overabundance of his grace, the lavishing on his grace that he's done for people who are in Christ. It's like we just you just can't ever soak it dry. There's just more coming. Um, the Apostle Paul writes where grace abound or where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. So we're never going to run out. And when that gets in us, it starts to change us in a way that moves us forward. Because your sanctification, becoming more like Christ, will always flow from your justification, who you are in Christ. Never the other way around. It's not the way it's designed to work. Your sanctification will always flow out of your justification. You do not become more justified, more holy, more pure, more clean before the throne of God by acting more holy, more clean, more justified. All right. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here's what the Apostle Paul just wrote. Remember, this is all one sentence. This is all one idea in the original Greek. And his pen is just blowing up in that Roman jail. What he just wrote. And get this, please, friends. Get this. Is that God wants you to know that this is true. It says he made known to us the mystery of his will, which was that he was going to offer absolutely crazy redemption to sinful people like you and me. He's so gracious that he wants you to know it. He wants you to stand in it. He wants you to have confidence in it. Not confidence in the way that you acted yesterday or the way that you'll act tomorrow. Isn't that the game that we often play with God? God, when I get it together, I know you're going to love me. I know you're going to accept me. I know you're going to redeem me when I get it together. And he says, I have. You're in me. You're in me. And he wants you to know it. He wants you to know that it was his plan from the beginning of time. 
to offer that hope to you. And so here's the deal. I don't know how you got into this place this morning. I believe that it wasn't by accident. Somebody may have told you we have free donuts or something. I don't know what it was. But see, what this passage says is that God is working in the world to bring things to a head in Jesus Christ. And so when, when I sat on a backpacking trail in the San Juan Mountains, June of 98, and for some reason, picked up my Bible and just sensed the words of the page just flying off and hitting me in the heart. And a message I'd heard since birth finally burrowed in and finally took root and just absolutely changed me. Somehow, some way, I finally believed that I'd been called off the auction block, redeemed, set free, forgiven. That that didn't happen by accident. That God was at work. That God is at work. And you see, here's the deal is that understanding God's gracious plan should evoke confidence in us to live our lives to the fullest. Just take a second. Just take a second. A deep breath and remember the fact that you're not here by accident. That the gracious, loving God who spoke every star in the sky and who calls them out one by one by name, loved you enough to purpose, to save you and to redeem you and to hold out the grace and mercy of the gospel to you in Jesus. Some of you are so worried about what you do that you haven't taken your eyes off yourself long enough to see what he's done. It might just change you. See, see, he says, what Paul says is that this truth is important enough that God has made it known. And I love the way that the ESV translates it, is making it known. So even right now, my conviction is that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to stir you to new depths of realization of what you have in Jesus. And it's beautiful, friends. It's beautiful. Oh, there's so much more I want to say about that. Verse 11. Verse 11. says this. In him, we've obtained an inheritance. Okay, just just stop. Sorry. Because here's what he says. Is that because you're placed in Christ, because you are placed in him, that you have an amazing, unbelievable, mind-rattling inheritance that waits for you, that is yours currently, that will be fully realized by you eternally. And something happens in us when we start to recognize what our destiny, what our true destiny is. It allows us to really live. I, um, we had some friends over, and I watched um, last Sunday evening, and so I didn't get to watch the Bronco game live. Unfortunate, I know. 
I did DVR it though. And so afterwards, um, I had the chance to watch it, but I felt my phone blowing up the whole time we were at dinner. Um, and I accidentally looked at one of the text messages that said, congratulations, Peyton looks really good in orange. And I thought, dang you. (laughs) But here's the deal. I watched that game a little differently. I watched that game knowing that no matter what happened during the game, that the Broncos were going to win. That they already had won. Here's what God might want to say to you this morning. So that you might live a little bit differently. He has won. He has won. And because you are in him, you have won too. And so I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what kind of things are falling down around you. I don't know what the bank account looks like. Whatever it is in your life that may just be falling down around you. What I want to assure you of and remind you of this morning is that you are in him. And he has been made victorious. And so thereby, you are victorious as well. And see, here's the beautiful thing about this. Is that in him, we become heirs, co-heirs with Christ, as the book of Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 say. Co-heirs with Christ. And that we receive a royal, unbelievable inheritance. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 is going to say that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend what's in store for those whose hope is in him. So I don't know what your presence like, but I know what your destiny is. And the word of God seems to think that that changes everything for us. I love the way that, that Peter writes it in First Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. Oh man, isn't it, isn't it great that that doesn't read? According to Ryan's amazing resume of holiness and faithfulness. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. For you. Here's the way Paul goes on. Even attained an inheritance, having been predestined. Remember we talked about that word last week in the Greek. It really just means predestined. So, (laughs) to determine beforehand. In him, we've been predestined according to the purpose of him. I love this. I hope that this just explodes in your heart who works all things according to the counsel of his will. See, Jesus, for some unbelievable reason, decided to save. We don't know why. We know how. But I think for all eternity, we may stand around the throne of God and praise the crucified lamb with the question in the back of our minds, why me? Because if it doesn't make sense now, it definitely isn't going to make sense then. 
It's just all by his grace and all by his mercy. And so what he says is, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That, that as we find ourselves in him, the only response is, God, you've been so good. You've been so gracious. The, the wealth of your grace, he said earlier in the chapter. Based not on my accomplishments, but based on Christ's blood. We've been given an inheritance. Oh, what other response do we have than to say, praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Man. In him. Okay, here we go. In him. You were also. Let me uh, skip a little bit. A few of these. Here we go. In him you were also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. So here's the deal. God sovereignly chooses that we would be people who would trust in him. But I love the way that this chapter, let me see if I have it in here. Yeah. Explains sort of both sides of that mystical equation. That in some way, God has chosen and God has predestined. And yet, it says in verse 13, that when we heard the word of truth, so, so we have to hear it. We have to hear it. And believed. When we heard the word of truth, that he is good, that he redeems, that he calls us off the auction block, based nothing in and of ourselves, but based on the blood and the perfection of Jesus, that when we believe, we needed that and he provided it. He says, it's the gospel, the good news of your salvation. See, some of you haven't heard it because you're so busy trying to earn what he's already freely given. People need to hear, friends. If we believe in the doctrine of election and predestination, it in no way, shape, or form gets us, quote unquote, off the hook. In fact, it should inspire us all the more to believe that there are people at our works, that there are people at our home, that there are people in our coffee shop, that there are people in the ELC, that there are people all around us who, when they hear, will respond. And let me just say, really quickly, as, as a church, I don't know if I want to be about anything other than proclaiming the word of truth and seeing people believe in the precious, life-changing, eternity-defining blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, coffee shops are great, but people will not know that we are coffee shops by the good coffee that we serve. They're not... Now, there's people down there who need to hear the good news of the gospel. Absolutely. But just because we're good citizens, people will not look at us and say, you know what? They must know Jesus. Because we provide a great ELC, which praise be to God, they don't kick you out after three incident reports. People aren't going to know that we're followers of Jesus just because of great services where we provide. People will know that we are followers of Jesus by the way that we love each other and by the way that we hold out the word of truth to the people in our lives, in our neighborhoods, at our work. People need to hear in order to step into a relationship with Jesus. They do. They do. 
in Him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, here we go. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee, who's the guarantee of your inheritance, of my inheritance, of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. And I love that Paul says, just in case you didn't catch it the first few times, to the praise of his glory. This is, it's all about him. Here's the deal. In him, in him, you have been marked by a seal of the Holy Spirit as God's own possession. So, so here we go. I don't want to leave our little picture here incomplete because this is what Paul just said. Is that not only did God place you and me in Christ, but in some way, some mystical way, he placed him in us as well. So that inside of us is what it says that we, that the Holy Spirit was promised and that he is the guarantee of our inheritance. So even now, friends, the Holy Spirit of God inside of you beckons, yells, screams, pokes at the door of your heart and says, that's true. That's true. That God has sunk a little bit of heaven in you to declare to you that there is a lot more to come. He is our guarantee. Literally, it could be translated our down payment, the deposit. And the Holy Spirit is alive inside of you right now, this morning, today. If you have heard the word of truth and believed it, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. So, Christian, We are not people who are defined by experience and defined by emotion. But if we are people who are devoid of experience, we may not be Christians. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And if he lives in you, he's saying something to you. Here's what he's saying. He's preaching the gospel to you. He's saying, you were on the slave block and he called you off. You were unredeemable, and he redeemed. You were unforgivable, and he forgave. You couldn't do it on your own, but he did do it on your behalf. Friend, you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed, and you've been set free. And so many of us live lives half awake. We we live, but we're not alive. We're living, but we're just simply existing because we're trying to earn something that's already been freely given. When I think what today Jesus would say is, will you just come back to the truth and sit in the fact that I've marked you, that I've sealed you, that I've redeemed you, that I've forgiven you, that I've chosen you, that I've blessed you, that I've adopted you, that you are mine. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Jesus, thank you. May it all be, may it all be to the praise of your glorious grace. I'm just overwhelmed because I I know that that's me. And that through your mercy, 
Through the blood of Jesus, you reached down and you rescued. When there was no way, you made a way. And Father, may we not spend our lives asking you to do something you've already done. But Lord, may we spend them running in the freedom that you've given, pointing to the glory of your gospel and the bloodshed of Jesus that calls us sons and daughters, that washes us clean, that makes us whole and that makes us new. May it be the song that we sing to the praise of your glorious grace for all of eternity, to the praise of your glorious grace. May our lives make your name great as we run in the freedom that you have so magnificently, mysteriously, unbelievably showered down upon us. May it be on our lips because we're convinced of it in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Amen.